unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my It's time for us to go ahead and get started tonight, if we can, please. We are super excited that we've got a good crowd tonight. We're always, always glad to have this bunch of folks here on Wednesday night. Let's look at all the kids. I've been watching these kids come in. They're everywhere. I mean, they're literally everywhere. And isn't that wonderful uh, to have all these kids here tonight? And we're glad that you're here. We have visitors tonight as well. And we're especially honored to have you. And I hope you'll make your plans to come back with us this Sunday morning at 9.30 for our worship service and our Bible classes on Sunday night at 5 o'clock. We'd be greatly honored to have you then. I hope you picked up a bulletin on the way in. If you did not, you can pick one up as you leave tonight. Uh, it'll have uh, all the updates that you need on some things. but. Uh, just quickly, on the sick list, uh, Joey Pittman has COVID. He's confined at home. And uh, Kathy Owens remains in the hospital in Tupelo and needs our prayers as well. So please remember these. Also, Sister Martha Eaton continues to have some struggles. Harold's here tonight, but let's continue to pray for her as she undergoes some therapy. All, also, those of you that are sitting back right here, have you noticed the light difference yet? They're the same color and they're different. So you can thank James for that and uh, appreciate that very much. Other uh, activities that we want you to take note of, area-wide for our youth is this Sunday at Strickland. The bus will leave from the TAC at 4.15 and our own Aaron Foster is going to be the speaker that night. Uh, keep in mind Rush, it's gonna take place at Freed Hardeman, September 22nd to the 24th. Uh, all 7th through 12th graders are encouraged to attend and sign the list in the foyer if you plan to do so. Also, the Freed Hardeman Associates are scheduled to meet on uh, Thursday, September the 21st, a uh, week from tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. This bulletin is colored right here, and I can't hardly read it, but... We've got a kind of a new thing going on that I think is going to be very good. It's called Focus. Fellowship of Christian Adult Singles. And if you'll look in your bulletin, you'll see the beautiful display there. They're scheduled to have a uh, game night, if I'm reading this correctly, on September the 30th at uh, 6 o'clock. Now... This is not only for young singles. This is for everybody that is single. It's not for you if you want to be single. It's for just singles. So uh, if you're single, if you're 99 years old, or I guess uh, 18 or 19, you're welcome to uh, be a part of this. So keep that in mind and check out the bulletin for further information. We do want to express our sympathy again to Brandon Elliott. Uh, in the death of his uncle, uh, who's from Red Bay, Alabama. Also, there's a men's shootout 
uh, skeet shoot scheduled to take place on September the 30th at the Jumper Estates. You can sign the list if you would like to participate in that. And of course, tomorrow is our food pantry. And we invite any and all that would like to come and help with that. Uh, the food pantry item this week is canned meat. I believe that's all of my announcements tonight that I need to make. Uh, Brandon Elliott's gonna be leading our singing. Uh, Stephen Hodgins gonna lead our prayer and brother Aaron Foster will be delivering our devotional thoughts. If you want to mark the invitation song, it'll be number 902. Number 902, if you have that marked, turn to number 147. Number 147. We'll sing the first and last verses. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for me tonight. 1 Corinthians 15. I think most of you know that on Sunday mornings I've been filling in and preaching at the Foot Street Congregation in Corinth. And um, this was an illustration I shared with them on Sunday, and I'm going to make this, this really short tonight, not, not 20 minutes like Sunday morning. Uh, but the illustration... My, my father told me this, and it's the reason why I'm, I, I kind of shared it on Sunday, and I'm sharing it with you tonight. Uh, the illustration goes like this. It's, um, it's actually a true story about Flagstaff, Maine. I don't know if you've ever heard of that little village or town. Um, and there's, a, there's actually a Flagstaff Lake currently there. But in the 1930s and the 1940s, that was a city and a, and a, and a small little village or town, you might call it. And... When the uh, electric company wanted to consolidate power, they decided they were going to build a dam. And of course, that dam created a lake, and they made a decision in the 40s that that city was going to be underwater by 1950. Now, what happened there, a few years before they decided to basically put that, that town underwater, as you can imagine, they stopped mowing the yards, they stopped fixing the roads, they stopped fixing their homes, and you can look it up online, I did it this weekend, uh, you can Google it and you can just literally see the water when the 1950s hit covering many of their homes and houses. And it was just a town that most, and we've all seen this before, it's a town or situation to where a group of people just lost hope and it, and it kind of leads us to something we know. Where there's no hope in the future, there's no power in the present. Well, Paul was dealing with this in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, so I want you to read it with me. 
And let's start in verse 16. There's so much to read here, but we're just going to read a few verses starting in verse 16. It says, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. It seems there was a group of people that had convinced these brethren at Corinth that there wasn't a resurrection. And then Paul's making these arguments, and he starts actually in verse 1 on down, and he finishes this whole chapter making these arguments that there is hope. And I love verse 20. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Folks, that is, that's an awesome thought that I don't want any of us to ever forget. We as Christians do have hope in the future, and that provides power for us in the present. And it's all because Christ has been raised from the dead. Now I'm going to finish with this verse because it's what Paul finishes this whole subject and thought with at the end of chapter 15. So let's go back, or let's go, I have to turn my page. I don't know if you have to turn your page. But I'm going to read the last verse of this chapter. Maybe the last two verses of this chapter. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, because we know there is power over death, because we know there is hope in the future. Listen to what he says here starting in verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The simple truth is this. We know we have hope. We know that there's going to be a resurrection. We know the Lord is coming again. We know that there's an eternity in heaven. And because of that hope, because of all that you know, Paul says, it ought to make you want to live a certain way. It ought to make you be movable and abounding in the work of the Lord. And that's my encouragement for you tonight. And for those of you who potentially have been living a life that reveals that maybe you don't have hope, you have a chance to fix that now. If you're not a Christian, of course, we want you to become one. If you are a Christian and you just, maybe you haven't been doing what Paul says or living a life like Paul says because you're a person with hope and you want to change that tonight, of course, we want to encourage you to do so while we stand and while we sing.
teachers make their way to class. We're going to have a closing prayer right before that. Bow with me, please. Our most gracious and holy Heavenly Father, giver of all things, creator, sustainer of life, thank you, Father, that you have allowed us to be here, to take breath, and to be able to assemble together to study your truth, to worship you, and to remember what is truly most important. Thank you, Father, for the thoughts from your truth. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have to dig deeper into your word in Bible class. Father, thank you most of all for your son, Jesus. As we study your truth, as we live our lives, may it always be with the hope of heaven in mind so that our hearts and our hands are busy in the kingdom. In Jesus we pray. Amen. As the teachers go to class, we'll sing one verse of Jesus Loves Me. <coughs> Jesus loves me, this I know. to see we have some of our scholars back with us and ready to study another part of the word. As we get ready to begin, we'll look at and discuss our um, sick list. If there's anyone needs to be added, I know in our community, uh, Brother Robert Walker, <clears throat> he um, passed away and his funeral visitation is tomorrow. Um, had a car accident, I was informed, didn't realize that that's what happened, but be mindful of their family um, at this time. Mike Ross waiting on a liver transplant. Another individual there, Sean, waiting on possible kidney and liver transplant as well. I believe Brother Larry Morgan's doing better since he was here. Shane Crone. Sean Crone. 
Any additions or changes to anyone else? Sister Martha Eaton's continuing troubles as well. All right, if no one else, we'll go ahead and begin in prayer. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We're thankful for the safeties you've given us thus far. We're so thankful for the abilities we have to, to come out and gather here and <clears throat> study another portion of thy word. Lord, we're mindful at this time for the ones of lost family, the Walker family. Lord, we pray at this time for the ones that are looking to be in care of health care facilities and ones looking for organ donations. We pray for them. We pray for the many that's undergoing cancer treatments continually. Lord, we continue to pray for the Wentz family and many others. Lord, we continue to keep them in our minds and um, ever hope for comfort and, and healing for them. Lord, we ask thee to be with all of the missionary work here and overseas in many places. We're thankful to be able to support those works and pray, Lord, we'll continue to do our part. Lord, we're thankful to have thy word, thankful to have thy congregation of people here. So thankful for our leadership that we have to help guide and, and keep thy church going. Lord, we ask thee to be with us and forgive us of our shortcomings. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, before we get started in chapter 8, I was going to go back. At the end of class, we kind of had a, a mention, and then after class, it talked about a, a couple of verses. I was going to hit on them <clears throat> before we move on to chapter 8. One of the things mentioned was in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 29 through 31. Let's look at that together. The scripture says, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as they had none. And let those who mourn live as they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So we'll kind of look at that and look at some of those if we kind of look at it of it, it's kind of some distinct or maybe even troubling text if we kind of look at it uh, just kind of at the face of it. But we look at this, it's not completely literal, is it? You know, if we look at the point of it, the, the fact of it, of the world is passing away, it is. What I think the point of Paul is getting here is not to be overly concerned of the worldly stresses and always prioritize godly things. You know, it made the comparison of the husband, the wife, the worldly things, and th others. Not to be so concerned that you shirk your responsibility to God of what needs to be done and the most important. As we look at this, the Bible usually answers itself. So let's read on to verse 32. As we look at verse 32, it says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. So if we look here, the point of it is not to be anxious, overly concerned, worried of these worldly things or others. The first and utmost thing to prioritize is the things of God, the spiritual things, the things we should be doing. Um, if we look here at verses 33 and 35, it says, um, But the married man is anxious about the worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things of how to please her husband. So if we look there, the things in the different scenarios of it, it looks kind of what's priority and other. I think he's just reminding of not to keep those in the right priority of it. We understand as Christians, as we look at this and things of the world, what's going to become of all these things in the world one day? They're all going to be burned up in the end. So, you know, we think about <clears throat> things in our homes, vehicles, all these. You know, one day they're all going to be consumed in fire. So the point is of not being so worried at this point that it pulls our focus off of God. 
The other thing we mentioned that was talked about at the end of class is verse 39, 1 Corinthians 7, 39. Um, we looked at it. The scripture says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as she lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. And the discussion we was looking at the thing of that, was that a topic of Paul, of an opinion of his, or more of a law from the Lord? So if we look at it from the contact, context of it there, as he says that, in verse 40, he sort of changes his tone of the way he talks. After that, he says, yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. So kind of the first part of it there is sort of a straight across statement of it. Um, so I believe in that context, it's a law of the Lord, not more or less his suggestion or other. Uh, two scriptures to look at this, to kind of look at it through a uh, scriptural point. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, 15 verses 17. The scripture there says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. So if we look at it there, the word regardless was scripture. So if we kind of look at that context, um, you know, all of this is God-breathed. You know, it's inspired word. The other scripture I was wanting to point out on it was 2 Thessalonians 2 and 15. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 15. The scripture there says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the tra traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So it kind of confirms there as we look to that, you know, it kind of backs up of the scripture, the authority of it, and the things of that. So just wanted to back up to kind of clarify on that. Any comment or discussion on that? Absolutely. You know, it's um, different aspects of life and uh, part of the topic tonight is kind of as we do things we look at things through other people's eyes you know um, of looking at it through each individual's because we all have a different outlook we have different um, you know sights and visions and the way through we view it as some people all right so as we begin chapter eight uh, as we look here As we get here to this chapter, he's dealing with food offered to idols. And it's kind of broke up, and there's a lot of lessons and different aspects to look from this. So I think the best way we can do is just read the entire chapter to kind of get a good feel of it and then go back and kind of break it down by as he says it. So let's go ahead and read the chapters. It's kind of a shorter chapter. Um, as it kind of builds and as he goes on, then we'll break back down and look at the lessons from it. So starting in chapter 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called so gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat it, and we're no better off if we do. But take care that this route of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? 
if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So as you look here in Corinth, a lot of these temples and places where these so-called gods were there, you know, as we look at it, there were multiple of these all throughout. As we look at these new converts, they were highly, you know, influenced by a lot of this going on. So as we look here at the beginning, it sort of starts off with kind of a principle. Paul begins by quoting when the, what the Corinthians are saying. The justification that the Corinthians are offering for their behavior regarding meat sacrificed to idols is that they have knowledge. And then they state that we have knowledge. They stated also that we know what we are doing since we possess knowledge, we are able to do what we are. But notice how Paul responds to their declaration of knowledge. The statement he says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. As we look at that correlation of it, knowledge puffing up and love builds up, how is it and how does it that knowledge causes people or us to be puffed up today? Well, sometimes we think people ought to just know better. Sometimes we get to a point of where we know certain things. We just assume that everybody should have that same level. Sometimes in the workforce. Uh, I've worked with people that seems like they got to a point of their learning that kind of plateaued because they felt like they couldn't be taught anything else. You know, we look at this in many applications of life. It goes on. But knowledge many times can breed pride and ignorance. So as we look and think about that, the other side of this, the statement of love builds up. Isn't this one of the great things as Christians that we should not share? We think about love. We think about the love of Christ. You know, that's what we should be emitting to other people. And when we are being a loving person, us being approachable and being available, most importantly, it opens up the door for us to make contact with people and to teach them about Christ. As we get here to the second verse, you know, we look at the statement here. He says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. I remember about 12 or 14 years ago, I was working on a fence on my property. And we was going through there and my daddy was helping me and we was looking and doing it. And once we got to the point of the fence, I was going to build a round pin there. And he told me, he said, you know, you ought to go up, up there on the land you bought there's a bunch of black locusts up there and cut them up and use them for fence posts. I said, well, I said, them cedar trees are awful pretty. I said, I think I'm going to cut a few of them and do it. And uh, against his acknowledgement, almost every one of those cedar trees now are rotted off at the ground and those black locusts that's 20 years older than them are still hard as a rock. So we look at stages of our life trying to do these things and we take our own knowledge and go over what other people who know more. It's kind of a, a fault of the flesh, if you will. Um, as we look at this, um, of if you think you're knowing something and really not knowing, it tells us I know and thinks it has full understanding. The spiritually knowledgeable person, you know, we think about of what they know and the knowledge is not the pure goal. If you think you know something and don't really, we think about how true this is in our spiritual life. As we grow in Christ, we begin to realize how much we don't know. Um, when we were younger and spiritually immature, things were more kind of black and white, uh, more plain, more simpler. Things were obvious and we just knew things. Then as we get older and, and learn more and understand the depth of love's Christ, the love of Christ, um, we learn more about it. We notice and see the truth of what Paul is saying. As we think about knowledge and ignorance going hand in hand, Love builds us up. Um, you know, God is trying to teach us. And when we sometimes have the attitude of a know-it-all, it, it kind of stunts our growth. Sometimes it can be disastrous to us. When we have the attitude that we know most of these things, sometimes, as in the scripture, we look back and we realize we don't know how much we really think we do know. 
if we look on that point, what does Christ instruct us to do if we love Him? Keep His commandments. You know, we look at what comes with that. Many blessings comes with that, doesn't it? You know, we look at the point of this in verse 3. Verse 3 tells us, But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. That passage, known by God, what comes to mind to you when you think about being known by God? You know, we, we think about the aspect and how we treat people and do things. In fact, we talk about sharing the love of Christ. Verse 3, you know, it tells us not being puffed up into knowledge, but abounding in love. The um, scripture also tells us here in verse 4 that there's two things that we know. Verse 4 says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. And we also know that there is no God but one. As he uses this we reference here, who is he speaking to? That we have this knowledge. We know these two truths. Church. Speaking to the church, speaking to the Christians. You know, as we look to that, you know, these things we know and we understand. Here in verses 4 through 7, we're starting to sort of see the problem of what's going on. Also, we hear the argument that the Corinthians are making here. They were saying that they know an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. What they're saying is idols are nothing. And what they're saying is that they know there is no God but one God. In 5 and 6, the scripture tells us, For although there may be so-called gods, small g, in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods, small g, and lords, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things are, from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. You know, we think about that. I remember and think about the old saying that comes to mind. You know, before you judge a man, you might should walk a mile in his shoes. As we think about these people back here in Corinth, you think about all the freshly converted people that have been influenced much by this idol worship. As we look at that and think about it, you know, being grown up, seeing this, you know, many of them, their whole life is all they knew. So kind of, it's kind of easy for us to be quick to judge and realize and think this, but idols in this sense is something that us have never dealt with as much. Now we've discussed previously in the study of many idols we have today, things that draw us away and other. But this type of idol, graven images, other things that they were looking to put their faith in, it's kind of a little bit of a, a token from what we deal with today. But Paul is trying to drive this point home to them as he goes on. If you notice here, he agrees with their knowledge. They were right. There are many so-called gods. And many of these so-called gods were considered to be in heaven or earth. But the fact is they had no actual existence. They were not real. They were false. For us, we do understand that there's one God, our Lord and God, the Father. And then from Him, all things do exist. And this is the knowledge we do have. As we look, it's not idols or so-called gods, but the Lord Jesus and Father, who is our God. Um, in verse 7, as we look, the... He says, however, not all possess this knowledge. So as we look at this knowledge that we know, he's influencing to them that not all of these have this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. As we look and think about this, I read an article that said it was a common thing more in these days that teachers or preachers that were going around that have had less, less food and less money, a lot of times this food that was offered to these idols will be passed out to the market and be shipped out to places and sold at a lower cost. And one point that was made that was common for people to go through and buy that food, and the people around that was watching was realizing the path where that food had came from 
and you know was passing judgment of it. Point of it was the food itself was no issue, but it was them going about and doing it. Someone else coming along could say, you know, here's a man of God. He's protecting this food from an idol. And it was causing them trouble, causing them to stumble, causing them to look down on these people. And then therefore, they lost their chance to be able to teach and do other. So they was looking at them, thinking of them of hip hypocritical stature that was causing a lot of these issues. You know, as he looked at this, of everyone knowing this fact, he said, people do not know this. Not everyone understands that these small g-gods are nothing. Not everyone knows that there's nothing behind these idols. They're many times refer referred to as the Greco-Roman gods of the day. Because of their former association with these idols, they think that eating of this food was more or less partaking in actual worship with them. So they was linking the eating of this to the people there, you know, and more or less considering them to be engaging in idol worship. They think the idol was a true God in this day, and the actions of this was wrecking these people's faith. You know, these Christians in Corinth were seeing this, being affected of it, and Paul's trying to deal with it as he goes through. Now, we've seen what they're doing yet, but Paul's making the point that just because they have the knowledge that this didn't mean anything, you know, other people did not have this, and it was detrimental to the faith of them. In verses 8 through 10, he instructs them and says, Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat it, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? If his conscience is weak to eat the food offered to idols. So in verses 8 through 10, you know, the offense or the stumbling block here, they use the word defiled. You know, today we look at people being offended and other things in context today. Here it has a little bit of it. What Paul's talking about here is, is a very serious um, speculation. These Christians, by their actions, was physically causing spiritual shipwreck of people. Us today as Christians, can our actions affect other people? Absolutely. It can affect them for good and also for bad, right? You know, as we look in the importance of following this and doing, the way that we present ourselves, the way that we, you know, the thing about it is as we're out in the world doing things, we never know who's watching. You know, you never know about things. And you notice about children when they were younger, when they get older, is they remember how adults and how people treated them. And when they get older, the point of that, even me as a child, I remember the older people, you know, that was good to me and other, and things like that always sticks with you. Same thing when we're living our Christian life. You know, we're here to expose ourselves to be positive, you know, and be good examples and be showing the light of Christ. The more that we can be in a positive light to people, the more effective we can be in our own personal ministry. You know, us as Christians, we've also got to take the caution that our right and our knowledge does not push another person into sin. Sometimes our freedoms and liberties, you know, we've got to be careful not to overbound them. Um, just because something is okay or other, sometimes we need to think about what others may view or how they are. So we're responsible for our own self in the way that we um, do. The Corinthians in these days, a lot of times when they eat these idols' temples, meals were offered there as a continual daily thing. The issue was not necessarily completely in just the food, if the food was okay, but the issue is that the meat bought in the market was passed along. The point is that the meat was previously sacrificed to idols. And possibly some of those people were going into those idol dining rooms in the temples and physically eating there. There's archaeological evidence that several of those temples in Corinth had massive banquet halls and dining rooms. The feasts were there, you know, many occasions were held. And um, I, I think this kind of helps us see why Corinthians are saying that they know an idol is nothing, they have the knowledge, they know that no God but one is there. 
But if they was continue going in these places where these meals was being offered in these temples, that couldn't have been good, could it? Even the association being entering there, people seeing them going in. The thing about today, we think about the places we associate, places we go, same things of that can happen today. You know, if we go into a place, whether you're doing something wrong or not, sometimes the association of the locations you're being has a great effect. Any questions or comments up to this point? Also, we look at that, we think about, you know, I heard a quote a while back, the point of just because you have the knowledge of, of knowing something, you don't have to always be right, to be overbearing, to be like, you don't have to win every argument, you don't have to win every fight, you don't have to always be. Sometimes it's better to be meek, you know, as we look at not being overbearing, um, things of that nature. No, you're fine. Romans 14 chapter is a good commentary on what he was talking about. Well, the whole, the whole, uh, the whole chapter really begins with about verse 14, uh, going all the way through the chapter. <coughs> just because we've got uh, liberty to do certain things doesn't mean that we should do it uh, because, you know, if it caused somebody to, to uh, sin, then, you know, and it is a sin if you do something wrong and you go ahead and do it, even though it might be right. That's right. Well, to JT's point there, whether it's wrong or not, if it's bothering you and you do it on, that's exactly right, then it becomes sin. Uh, to JT's point, he was talking about in um, Romans chapter 14, uh, 12 and on, a uh, good point of that about liberties and using them as wise. And to her point, she just talking about, you know, the sermon. There's more than one way to deliver a sermon, isn't there? A sermon can be delivered from a pulpit, but what's another way that we can deliver a sermon? The way people see, the way we live. You know, if we see someone that goes up on the pulpit and preaches a sermon, and then we see them out in life, you know, another week later, other times, you know, and looks like a different person, you know, it kind of sort of goes to violate against that. So the way we look, you know, we're a walking, you know, tribute of the way that we conduct ourselves, the way we talk, the way we treat people, the way we are even in our professional life and our dealings. Um, I would much rather somebody know that I was a Christian not because I told them but because they saw it. Absolutely right. You know, it's good to be talking to somebody in conversation and just about, you know, common things. Then towards the end of the conversation when they ask you, where you go to church at? You know, without even saying, they realize or imply, you know, see the Christian values in you and, and determine that, you know, you go to church somewhere. Sometimes your life is the only Bible people have to read. Sometimes it's the only sermon that they'll see, too. If we think about someone that we're trying to, to bring to Christ, if they're not going to church hearing his word, we may be the only contact of the one that they see. So we realize how important it is. And we realize how great the responsibility is. You know, every day in the hustle bustle of life, we're meeting deadlines, worrying about doing things, worrying about things in this world. And just as we established, everything in this world is going to be burned up. We don't need to get so wrapped up in it. You know, the way we treat each other, you know, the only thing we're leaving with is our soul. Yeah. 
the jail ministry that we do, the prison ministry we do, some of these people we never see them, but and all they get from us is what we write or send to them. And, you know, they don't necessarily want a book from somebody that is extremely knowledgeable or sends them these big words. They want somebody to sit down and break it down and explain it to them and just give them a kind, you know, I hope your day's going good or God bless you or something like that. You never see them, but they can see you through what you're writing. That's right. Point she was making about the jail ministry, sometimes the Bible correspondence and other, sometimes that's the only thing that they see and sometimes maybe us, us not being overlifted up with difficult speech you know we look at paul and many of the apostles they come to them just in plain speech they didn't come proclaiming great things you know jesus came the same way humble meek <clears throat> as a servant so that's uh principles and attributes that us as christians as well you know continue to that we should have any more comments we try to get more Paul was talking about, you know, money and, um, you know, we think about it. We live in a physical world. It takes physical things to do and to provide. It takes physical, you know, means and money to spread the gospel and do things. But in the end, the money itself, you know, it's what it can do for the cause of Christ that should be important to us, not the money itself. All right, as we look in... Verses 11 and 12. It says, And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. That's a pretty stale statement there at the end. You know, as he looks at that, um, the point of that, something so vast, but that's how important it is. What we're doing for the faith of others is a very important consideration. Our love for God and our love for others is very important components of our faith and how we make our life decisions. We must realize that not everyone possesses the knowledge that we have. There's been much destruction and much trouble in the church over disagreements of things. We've always got to be careful not to make a law. We've always got to be trusting in the leadership of the church so long as it always goes along with the Bible. You know, the end is that we're always abiding in His Word. What we believe in our heart and what we believe in our faith, it's absolutely important that we display those same things. One shouldn't contradict the other. As we study the Bible, study the Word, the Bible never contradicts itself. In our faith and love and the way we treat people, we shouldn't have one standard for this certain group of people that may be able to do more things for us. You know, everyone who walks through these doors, everyone who comes to our doors, should be treated and greeted in the same way with that love. Anything outside of this can be actions of hypocritical. We must live our life to the glory of God and we must not give cause for someone to continue in sinful behavior, behavior simply because we think we have some greater knowledge or ability to handle it. We cannot perform sinful actions within ourselves and obtain to have some higher righteous knowledge. We must love the faith and consciences of others. Just like Brother said, you know, we think about our conscience. We think about things examining and doing. Whether the things are right or not, if it violates our conscience and bothers it, we push us on to do it. We need to be careful to cross that line of sin because it's a fine line there. We also need to be concerned about other people's. If we understand or know brothers close to it has certain weaknesses, we need to be strong for them in those areas. You know, whether there's fault in it or not for us personally, we need to be mindful and respectful of them. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 18. 5 verses 7. Whosoever receives one such child in my name receives me. 
But whosoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great milestone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. So we look at Paul's last statement there. He said, you know, to sum it up, I won't eat another bite of meat if it causes my brother to stumble. We look here at this, you know, the, the vastness of this. It says it would be better for him to have had a great milestone fastened around his neck and drowned in the depth of the sea. That's how serious sin is. And we understand that as the sacrifice that Christ had to make, the seriousness of sin. Any questions or comments, anything to add here at the closing of verse 8? He's talking about a subject that's optional, this eating of meat. What if somebody was uh, concerned because we were having the Lord's Supper? You know, that's not an optional item. That's right. You know, instead of just not doing it because they might stumble, we're going to continue to do it and teach them what Christ is. That's right. So the point Brother, uh, Brother Jim was making there, when it comes to the point of something of the church, of worship or other things, where in this context, it's about food offered to idols that might be kind of trivial in itself, may not have an issue. But when it comes to things of how we conduct worship, Lord's Supper, we can't bend or bow on those things. You know, it's a command of God upon the first day of the week. You know, it's, it's what we do. In those things, we stand strong in the faith, you know, doctrinal, you know, what God teaches. A good point. It takes time to get over some of the things you've been taught all your life. Absolutely. You know, just like them and looking at this from the context of idols, you know, they might have been brought up in a family from, from a young age. Um, you know, you think of that, that they have to overcome. As we look at this and look at things in life, sometimes some of these teachings in the Bible are much harder for other people. Just because it's easy for us don't mean it's easy for somebody else, you know. Somebody may not have a problem with alcohol. Somebody else may have a serious problem with it, you know. Some people may not have a problem getting up and going to work and doing certain things. Others people, it may be a very hard thing for them to do, and they struggle and, and push to do it. You know, we look at all the backgrounds from where we come from, kind of like the statement, you know, we need to look through it and walk a mile in their shoes before we look to point fingers and, you know, belittle a problem that we may not think is a problem. Teaching and love. love. We love them and we teach them. Teach them in a way that they won't be offended. Of all the things when we interact with people. Situations, you know, I'm talking about the church. Like the Lord's talking about it and stuff that might offend them. It's not necessarily wrong. We teach them in love. That's the way we think that. That's a good point Brother Rick was talking about. When we are teaching and bringing up these things, we may not be, need to be so forthcoming, so stern or other. We need to do it in love with the right spirit of we're wanting to bring them to Christ. If we anger them and push them away, we'll never have the opportunity to teach them anything. You know, so good point. Well, we've got about a minute till. Any more comments or questions before we close? All right, we'll close in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time we've had. We thank you, Lord, for this Bible. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this room full of people who is here looking to open up thy word and feed on this word. Lord, we're ever continually growing. Lord, we pray that we will always look to your scripture and teach this, Lord. We pray most of all that we do not add anything or that we don't take anything away. We pray, Lord, to to open your word and examine it as it is. Lord, we pray to always be sound in our teachings with a love. Lord, we pray for the ones that we desire to bring to you, Lord. We pray that we do that in a loving manner. Lord, we pray that, that you receive glory in all these things. Lord, we ask thee to be with us as we depart, Lord. Keep us safe and be thy will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.